You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. One of the most uh, biggest sources of tension in my marriage over the years has been around my stubborn refusal to want to ask for help. Uh, so what tends to happen typically is I'll get a honeydew list of things that need to be done around the house and I'll start on one project and then I'll get stuck. So I'll leave that and I will go to another project. And then what happens is I end up sitting on all these unfinished projects for days or weeks or months or even years. And some husbands are laughing. So, uh, it's the reason why, um, you know, our garage door hasn't opened for three years. It's the reason why there's still not a towel rack in the hall bathroom. It's the reason why for over a year you could walk right, uh, through the front door of our house if we weren't home because we were unable to lock the front door from the outside. And, uh, it's not that I didn't try. Okay. So, you know, I, I went to Lowe's twice and bought like a whole door and lock system and tried twice to install it. And all I can say is it didn't work. So my wife has become famous for these little nudges that are turning into like blows where she's like, why don't you just call your dad? You know, or why don't you just call your grandpa or like call a friend who would help you. And I'm like, I'm a grown you know what, man? So I'll figure it out. Like, I'm not going to call on it. I don't mind YouTubing something, but if I'm going to actually have to call my dad or call a friend, then I, there's just something about me that doesn't want to do that. I'm learning. Uh, recently, I was in a conversation with Zach Baker, and we were talking about honeydew lists. And Zach just said, you know, uh, he's a friend of mine in my missional community and a member of our church. And he said, you know, if you ever want help with something, just holler. And that has an annoyingly stuck in the back of my mind. And my wife has reminded me that he said that a few times. So I called him recently. He came over and we fixed the front door. And so now you can't just walk right into my house. You have to actually break in. Uh, don't, don't do that. Uh, and so, uh, the most recent project I've started is I have ripped up the carpet in both of my girls' bedrooms down to the bare concrete because the carpet smells like a zoo. Uh, carpet in kids' rooms is a really bad idea. And so, um, so I've got it stripped down to the bare concrete. I've bought the floors. I've never laid floors, so I'm in the process of kind of YouTubing that and trying to figure that out. And my wife has said to me on more than one occasion, like, we're not going to have concrete floors for several weeks. Like, even if you have to call somebody, you've got to get this done. And what she's pushing on is just something that's true about me. There's something in me that doesn't like to ask for help. And I don't think I'm the only one. I think I don't think that's a problem that is unique to me. If we're honest... I think most of us in here would admit there's something about asking for help that makes us uncomfortable. <coughs> Pride. <coughs> and we don't, we don't like to do it. Um, there's a, a, a writer named Alina Tuggins who wrote an article in the New York Times a few years ago that's titled, Why is Asking for Help So Difficult? And in it, she points out that we live in a culture that's literally born out of this desire for independence. And it's a culture that is conditioned and largely based on the idea of self-help. You just go to Amazon this afternoon and, 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 and search self-help and just look at the dozens and dozens, like the, just volumes of books and resources that are avail- available in that category of self-help. I read recently that by the year 2022, the self-help industry will be about a $15 billion machine. And so... 
there's a spirit of pride and self-reliance that I think is fundamental to all humans. Like it's just something we're born with. But then we live in this culture that really latches onto that and causes it to grow because it's a culture that tells you to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, be a self-made American person, right? And you do you and live an independent life. But then also all of that makes it really difficult for us, us to ask for help, right? It makes it very, very challenging. When you really need help, it's hard to walk through that and ask for help. Tuggan goes on, however, in this article, and she argues there's a deeper reason why we don't want to ask for help. There's something deeper than I'm tough and I'm, I'm pride. I've got this pride and I'm just going to figure it out. There's something deeper than that, she says. And she ends up quoting Amanda Palmer, who did a famous TED Talk on uh, why it's so difficult to ask for help. And she wrote a book called The Art of Asking or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Let People Help. And here's what Palmer, Palmer says in this book. She says this put this on the screen. From what I've seen, it isn't so much the act of asking that paralyzes us. It's what lies beneath. The fear of being vulnerable, the fear of losing control, the fear of rejection, the fear of looking needy or weak, the fear of being seen as a burdensome member of the community instead of a productive one. And she goes on and says, it's no wonder so many of us don't bother to ask. It's just to painful. So what both Tuggan and Palmer are saying is that if we're honest, most of us don't want to ask because to ask is to be vulnerable. It's to really put yourself out there. And nothing is scarier to us than being vulnerable because being vulnerable is how you get hurt. And living in a fallen world, all of us are intimately familiar with that on some level. And so we've learned, don't be vulnerable, don't be weak, don't be needy, don't be dependent, because that's a doorway into hurt, that's a doorway into shame, that's a doorway into embarrassment, that's a doorway into humiliation, that's a doorway into rejection. And so what we end up doing is, even if it's on an unconscious level, we spend all of our money, resources, effort, and energy into covering up that thing about us, trying to cover up our vulnerability, cover up our need cover up our weakness because we don't want to be those things. And here's the real problem with that. The problem is that is that not only do we bring that posture into our relationships with one another, but we bring that posture into our relationship with God. And that being said, here's the question I want us to wrestle with this morning, okay? What if the very thing we despise our neediness, our weakness, our messiness, our vulnerability, our lack of control, what if the very thing we despise is not something about us we need to try to cover up and get rid of? What if it's actually the doorway into the very life and love and beauty and joy that you long for and were made to experience? What if your neediness is not something about you that you should be ashamed of, but what if it's actually the entryway, like the thing that gets you into the abundant life that Jesus has for you. Here's the reality we have to embrace when it comes to Jesus. You, so you have to come to Jesus on, your, on, on his terms. You don't get to come to Jesus on your terms. And when you come to Jesus, there's one thing he requires from you. And it's the one thing that you have plenty of, which is your need. There's this line that you see from Jesus repeatedly through the Gospels where he tells his disciples, and the same invitation is for you and me, if you want to follow me, if you want salvation, like if you want to be made whole and you want to experience life in the kingdom of God the way you were meant to live it, there's only one thing you have to do, Jesus says. Become like a little child. He says these shocking things. Here we have it on the screen, Matthew 18, 3. Just, just let the weight of this 
set on you. Unless you change, unless you stop what you're doing, like your whole way of being, the way you're currently operating and functioning out of like independence and self-reliance and, and grasping for control, unless you change all of that, Jesus says, and become like a little child, you will never inherit life in the kingdom of heaven. Wow. That's offensive to me. Because I'm a grown, you know what, man, and I'd like to figure it out all by myself. So here's the big idea. This is what I want us to focus on this morning. If you want to experience life the way you were made to experience, the life you long for, you've got to change what you're doing. You've got to become like a child, which means you have to become an expert at, needing, at, at being needy and an expert at asking for help. Kids are experts at that. So that being said, look with me at Matthew chapter 7, if you closed your Bible. Open it back up. And look, we'll start reading in in, uh, verse 7. And here's what Jesus has to say to us. Matthew 7, start in verse 7. He says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? That's the, so I would underline that, that line there, and that last line in verse 11. That's Jesus' big point. That's the big idea that he wants to put on the table and have us wrestle with. That's the thing he wants to drive home. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who what? Ask. The first thing Jesus wants us to see right out of the blocks in this text is when it comes to prayer, when it comes to your relationship with God, is you have to understand who God is. And I want to camp out here for just a minute because if we miss this, then we miss everything. So a lot of us in the room, when we think about God, we tend to think about him first and foremost as this almighty creator or ruler, which is true about him. That is, that is who he is. But that's how we think about him first and foremost, when, when Jesus comes to reveal to us who God is, Jesus reveals to him in a different way. Not first and foremost as creator and ruler, but Jesus says God is first and foremost a father. I mean, think, think about that with me for just a second. If God is first and foremost a creator, then he has to create something to be who he is. If God is first and foremost a ruler, then he has to have something to rule just to be who he is. But if God is first and foremost a father, that means that he is... He's a God that has always existed in perfect communion with Jesus as a, as a dad who loves his son. And in fact, that's exactly what Jesus says in John 17, 24. You go look at it for yourself. Jesus says that for all eternity, listen to this, for all eternity, long before he ever created and ruled the world, God has fundamentally, first and foremost, existed as a father who's always loved his son. Jesus says that's just, that's just who God is is. And the whole point of the gospel, by the way, the whole reason Jesus has come and given his life on the cross is not just to forgive you and declare you righteous so that now God can like tolerate you, but Jesus came to adopt you into the family of God, to make his father our father, and to give you a brand new identity as as a son or a daughter of God. That's the way you, you get to now relate to God the way Jesus has always known him. And the way he loves Jesus is the same way that he loves you, as your father. Prayer, prayer and relationship with God doesn't work on any other terms. Um, 
One of the greatest theologians of all time, J.I. Packer, passed away last week, July 17th. He was 93 years old. And I remember the first time um, in my early 20s that I ever was made to read J.I. Packer's Knowing God. And it completely transformed my entire view of God and opened my eyes to like the way the Bible presents God. And here's a quote from J.I. Packer, and it's a little lengthy, but it's worth the read. I'll put it on the screen. Here's what he says. You sum up the whole of New Testament teaching in a single phrase. If you speak of it as a revelation of the fatherhood of the Holy Creator. In the same way, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, that's every intimate detail of your life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctively Christian as opposed to merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Listen to this. Father is the Christian name for God. There's this great line from Tim Keller. We'll put it on the screen maybe where he says, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is the king's child, and we have that kind of access. And that's Jesus' point in this passage. If you're in Christ, the creator and the king of the universe is no longer distant, but he's come close, so close, in fact, that he has adopted you and he has become your father. And Jesus says in verse 11, this is the main thing, he's, this is the, the thing you've got to get this morning. Your father in heaven is good, and he loves you, and he only gives good gifts to those who ask. And I realize that um, I can't talk about this without addressing an elephant in the room. Like any time that we talk about God as a father, there's, there's some of us or maybe a lot of us in the room or a lot of you who are watching online that don't necessarily feel warm to the idea of God as a father. Some of you, because of your story and because of your experiences, you cringe when you hear the word father. And it can be extremely painful to, to see God as a father whenever your earthly dad or mom, for that matter, was, was distant or abusive or absent or, or harsh or neglectful. And, and if that's you, I just want you to understand right now Jesus sees you, he loves you, and he feels tons of compassion toward you in that. And he wants to heal that and transform that in you. And here's my encouragement, if that's you, and to some degree that's all of us, by the way. Here's my encouragement. Um, it's really hard not to do that, to project your earthly parents onto God the Father. But we have to realize that, that to transfer the failings of our earthly parents onto God is simply a misstep. It's just, it's a misstep. And in fact, it's supposed to be the other way around, where earthly parents are supposed to reflect the goodness and the love of God, the Father. And some do it better than others, and I'm realizing the longer I do it that nobody does it perfectly. Um, like the longer that I'm a dad, the more grace I feel toward my dad because the more I realize in some sense we're all bad dads. And in some sense we're all imperfect parents. And in fact, that's what Jesus argues in this passage. He, used, he kind of throws dads under the bus a little bit, and he uses that to make his point that like even imperfect dads know how to, on some, some sense, like love their kids and give them good gifts. And I'm telling you, my dad is better than your dad. So Jesus is kind of taking the posture of a child. You know that game we used to play, like my dad can beat up your dad? Jesus is like, my dad can beat up your dad. My dad is better than your dad. I'm telling you, my dad is the standard of what a dad is supposed to be. 
And he says in verses 9 and 10, if, if you're a parent and your child asks for bread, like even, even if you're an evil parent, he says, and that's the language he uses, even if that makes us uncomfortable, you being an evil parent, your child asks for bread, you don't take some bologna and put it between two stones and give it to your child and then watch him break his teeth. You being an evil parent, you don't ask for a fish and then get, like your child asks for a fish and then you give them a snake on a plate. Like Jesus says, if you who are evil, if, if you who are in all your brokenness as a parent, if you still give at least on some level good things to your children and know how to love your children on some level, won't your heavenly father do even more? And he's, he's pressing on this thing that we all have an instinctive knowledge of how a parent should love their kids and we all know what a good parent is supposed to be. And he's saying, like, look, my dad is the standard of that. Nobody is more passionately committed to the well-being and joy of their children than God the Father. So much so he sent Jesus and gave up everything to prove it. Therefore, in light of that, Jesus' whole point in this passage is because God is who he is, because he's a good, perfect, loving dad, you're free to come to him as a child and share your heart with him and ask for whatever it is that you want or need. Like, the, the Father only gives good gifts to those who ask, so ask. That's the application in this text, and that's where I want to spend the rest of our time. Look with me at verse 7. Jesus gives three simple commands. Ask, these, these are not suggestions, these are commands. Ask, seek, and knock. And the way this is written in Greek, the idea is you keep on asking, you keep on seeking, you keep on knocking. And if you'll notice, there's, there's somewhat of a, a progression here. It starts with asking the Father and just bringing your request to him. But Jesus' prayer doesn't stop with asking. He moves on to seeking. This is the idea of earnestly pursuing God and tracking down the Father for what is on your heart. Um, and then finally, prayer is not just about asking and seeking, but Jesus says it's also about knocking. Like it's this, it's this pestering God and just refusing to leave him alone until he answers you. And when you zoom all the way out, what Jesus is doing is kind of funny because he's just painting a picture of how a child asks for things. I have an eight-year-old, a five-year-old, and a four-year-old, so it's really easy for me to see the picture that Jesus is painting here. And here's the big takeaway. Here's the big takeaway. Jesus is saying, if you want to learn how to talk to God, and if you want to experience life, the life you were made for in relationship with God, you have to stop trying to be a, an adult. You have to start watching the way children relate to their parents, particularly in the way that they ask for things. So how does a child ask for things? I, wanna, I want us to have some fun with that. There's, um, there are at least three ways that a child will ask for things, and I think Jesus is hitting at all of them in this passage. Uh, to make it easy for you, they all start with P. And I just want to spend the rest of our time unpacking these three things and then will be done. So how does a child ask for things? First off, if you're taking notes, kids have no parameters when they ask, okay? And this is what Jesus is inviting you into. Pray like a child. By the way, that's how he taught us to pray in Matthew 6, right? Prayer only works when you come to God with the posture of a child saying, Father. So children, how do they ask for things? No parameters, no parameters, no boundaries to their request. Kids will ask for anything and everything. Nothing is too little or too small. If they want it or they think they want it, they're just going to ask for it. Um, 
Many of you uh, know Andrew and Heather Watson in our church. Andrew and I uh, went to college together. Heather is on staff in our church, and we get to be in a missional community together as well. And so uh, last week was their youngest son, Oliver's fifth birthday. I think we have a picture. There's Ollie. Yeah, adorable. Um, And so several weeks ago, I was hanging out with Andrew, and Oliver walked up to me, and he told me that his birthday was coming up in several weeks. And when he walked away, Andrew kind of laughed and said, dude, he's been talking about his birthday since January. Like he's inviting everybody to it. He won't stop talking about his birthday. And Andrew said, in fact, um, since January, he's been coming up to me and Heather on, on a daily basis with requests of things that he wants for his birthday. And, 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 and so he'll like be watching a show or watching a movie and he'll see something he wants. He'll stop it and pause it, rewind it, pause it, go get his mom or dad, hold their face in front of the screen, hit play. And then whenever, whatever it is that he wants pops up on the screen, he'll start screaming that, that, like I want, that's the thing I want. I want that for my birthday. And so he's been doing this on a daily basis. And Andrew said the, the requests are so impressive that he began to keep a list of them on his phone. And so as we're sitting together, I was like, well, show me the list, man. I want to see the list. And so Andrew shows it to me, and, and I just laugh hysterically, like I'm blown away. And so I asked Heather and Andrew if I can share the list with you. And Heather's in the back. They said yes. So here's a list of things that Oliver would like for his fifth birthday, Okay. Slappy from Goosebumps, like the real Slappy. Real gummy bears that pop up and walk, also from Goosebumps. Masha bear, a bomb, a dynamite, long gun that's medium-sized with pretend bullets. <laughs> like, I love how specific they are. Bullets that are sharp and pointy so I can shoot birds. Excavator, ATV, brown and white cat, my own. Small gun that is long with a sharp bullet, just one sharp bullet. Uh, hot lava gun. Uh, big airplane that I can fly myself. Cannon that shoots out food. That is amazing. Long garbage truck. <laughs> Not a short garbage truck, but a long garbage truck. Fire gun, which is different from a lava gun, I guess. Putting green. Tractor. Credit card machine. You can't make this up. Paraglider. Doctor, a doctor car like the wolves have in Masha Bear. Blue mustard. <laughs> um, big water slide. Science lab. Dentist kit. Dart rifle with scope. Hot air balloon. Bulldozer. My personal favorite sewage system. <laughs> And then finally, I'd like an ice skating rink. So um, how awesome. Can we give Oliver a round of applause? I mean, that is just awesome. Just zero parameters, right? Nothing too big or too small for Oliver to ask for. And here's the point. I think Paul Miller said it best in his book, A Praying Life. Here's a quote from Paul Miller. To pray is to enter the world of a child where all things are possible. Like what Miller is saying is the reason kids ask for big, bold, outrageous things from their parents, you want to know why they do that? Because they genuinely believe their mom and dad can do anything. It's a, it's a childlike faith, a childlike imagination. One of the, I remember one of the biggest 
tantrums that my oldest daughter, Lucy, ever threw. She was two years old. She throws this big tantrum in front of a whole bunch of tourists at the Kansas City Zoo. And the reason she is freaking out is because she has repeatedly asked me to bring home with us the polar bear from the polar bear exhibit, and I've had the audacity to tell her no. It's like, first of all, honey, that's illegal. Second of all, I couldn't afford it. Third, it will murder our entire family. But she just has this, here's the thing. She didn't have a category for something being impossible for her dad. Did you hear me? There's not a category for something being impossible. She believes her dad can do anything. And she instinctively trusts that her dad wants to give her good gifts. So maybe, just maybe, knowing that my dad is good and knowing that he can do anything, just maybe if I ask him, he'll give this to me. That's a childlike faith. Jesus says, ask. No parameters. You know, sometimes I want to put parameters or limits around my asking because either I shame myself, I think that something is too small or insignificant for God to care about, like a parking spot. I'm the guy that used to pray for parking spots, and then I went to seminary, and I thought that that's dumb. And so then I would shame and judge you and other people for praying for parking spots. And now I'm starting to realize the older I get, and I'm a dad myself, I'll take any little stupid request my kids have if it means I get to draw closer in relationship to them. You need to help you tie your shoes? Sure. You need to help you wipe that junk off your face? Absolutely. Even though it's dumb and menial and you can do it yourself, I'd, I'd love to help you do that. Absolutely. You want a parking spot? Let's talk about that. I'd love to hear what's on your heart. I'd love for you to crawl up in my lap and just share whatever weird little thing is on your heart with me. Sometimes I want to put parameters around my prayers because I think it's too stupid or little or insignificant for God to care about, or I think it's too big and too bold to ask for, and I'm afraid, I'm not sure he can really pull it off. And I want to put these parameters around it. And Jesus is inviting us into this childlike faith that says, my dad can do anything. So I think the question, and he cares, by the way, And so the question I want to ask before we move any further is, what are some of the small or big, bold things that you want or you need in life that you have not asked God for or you have stopped asking him for? For some of you, you need a job. And you're anxiously searching for one, but you're not praying and asking. Um, Some of you want a spouse. Some of you long for physical healing for yourself or someone you love. Some of you need help overcoming addiction or a life-controlling issue. Some of you are grieving your guts out. Some of you are in an impossible financial situation. Maybe you need a car to get to work. Maybe you just need some money and resources to help you get back-to-school supplies for your kiddos. Or you just need help paying a bill. What? What are, what are some of the small or big things that you're, you're not asking for or that you have stopped asking for? Jesus is inviting you to walk through your pride, walk through your shame, walk through your cynicism, walk through your fear of vulnerability, put it on the line and ask. No parameters. And no pretense. That's the second way Jesus tells us to ask um, that's the second way a child asks for things. They have absolutely zero pretense in the way they ask for things. What I mean by that is no pretending and performing with a child. They just come to you as they are, and they blurt out whatever it is that's on their little minds or hearts, right? 
Um, I could have my entire missional community at my house, pre-COVID-19, of course, and my youngest could yell from across the other side of the house in front of everybody, Dad, I pooped. I need you to wipe me. Like, no shame at all. Just, this is what I need. I'm going to ask for it, right? It's what I need. There's a um, there's an older man who's been a friend of my parents, friend of my family for years, and recently uh, my kids met him for the first time. And so we're standing there talking with this guy. He's right in front of me. We're talking, and Peach, my youngest, looks up at me, tugs on my shirt, looks up at me, and right in front of this guy says to me, Dad, this guy's really old. <laughs> like, just, it was on her mind, and she wanted to share it with her dad. No shame, no pretense. This is, this is what's in there. No filter, no filter. I mean, kids are just not trying to clean up and impress you. They come to you as they are, runny nose and all, and they're not even coming close to trying to get it right. Like half the time, they don't even pronounce the words correctly. One of our all-time favorites in my house that we still say regularly is we love when Susanna, my middle child, was little, and she used to come to us and ask for sake nook which is chocolate milk. <laughs> and so when she would come and ask for sake nook, like, well, I didn't shame her for that as a dad and be like, Susanna, it's chocolate milk, okay? Like, get it right and I'll actually give it to you. No, it's like, I delighted in the messiness, like the wobbly, like imperfect. There's something about her saying it wrong that tugged in my heart and actually moved me even closer to her. Like, I loved it. In fact, that's still what we call it in our house to this day. And if that's true for imperfect parents, how much more does it tug on the heart of the Father when we come to Him as we are? As we are. That's what Jesus wants us to see. God delights when you come to Him with your honest, wobbly, imperfect prayers because He's a good Father. And see, where we go wrong in our relationship with God is we become adults and we try to clean up our prayers. And we think like, sometimes we think, or at least I do, I'm not sure that I can actually say that to God. Like, what will he think about me if I say that? Or I'm not sure if I can be that honest and raw with him. Or I'm not sure, like, sometimes my theological categories get me hung up. I'm not sure if I can really ask for that because I'm not sure if it's theologically correct to ask for that. (laughs) You think kids are worried about that kind of stuff when they come and ask their parents if you can bring home a polar bear? Like, they're not worried about the categories. They're just no pretense. And what Jesus wants you to see is that prayer is a place where you come to the Father not as you ought, but as you are. It's, it's, the, the truth is, I, I am just as needy and just as messy and just as self-absorbed as my children. I'm just more sophisticated at, at hiding it, so I think. And prayer is the one place where I don't have to hide it. Like, I get to be Adam with God the Father, and, and I get to come messy I get to to show up overwhelmed with life. I get to show up with a wondering mind, and God's not mad at me about that. I get to to show up without trying to get the words and the categories right. I I get to show up without a mask. It's like this is the one place, COVID or no COVID, prayer is the one place where masks are just not allowed. Like you just get to show up with no mask and be the real you and meet the real God and share like what is... What is really on your heart and mind? And that's the question for you this morning. What is really on your heart or your mind right now in this moment that you would like to share with God the Father? He's inviting you. Come. Come with no parameters. Come with no pretense. 
and bring that to me. I would like to talk with you about that. So that's how Jesus is inviting us to pray. No parameters, no pretense, just like a child. And lastly, with persistence, okay? So little children are persistent in the way they ask for things. If you're a parent, can I get an amen? Like you know that this is true, how unbelievably stubborn and annoying they can be. My kids will ask for a thousand times for the same thing. And I'm like, no, you can't have more slime. You can't have a screaming chicken. Have you seen these things? They've, they've got them for like five bucks at Walmart because somebody hates parents. It's unbelievable. And my daughter's able to, be able to like figure out the price of things. And she's like, dad, it's just $5, you know? And I'm like, well, it ain't your $5. And it's my sanity. So no, I'm not, I mean, these, these, these things are awful. Stop asking me. And yet this is how Jesus teaches us to pray. Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. You want to know the reason why kids do that? Well, they will follow you and climb you like a tree and tug on you and keep pestering you. You know why they do that? It works. <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah, it really does eventually. And that's Jesus' point. That's his point in the parable of the persistent widow or the parable of, of the, of the persistent neighbor. There's a hilarious, you're right, it does work. There's a hilarious story in Luke chapter 11 where, it's just so funny to me, where at midnight, this guy has a friend crash his house. And because it's customary, like when somebody shows up at your house, like you gotta feed them, I guess if it's midnight, I'd be like, what are you doing here? I'll call the cops. But he's got to feed this guy. He didn't have any food. So this neighbor goes to his other neighbor's house. And at midnight is knocking on the door saying, like, I need some bread because this other guy's crashed my house and I've got to feed him. And this neighbor's like, what are you? My kids are asleep. My family's asleep. Leave me alone. But the guy just continues to knock and continues to knock and continues to knock. And so this guy finally begrudgingly gets out of bed and, and like, brings this guy some some food. And, and, and eventually, like, gives the neighbor what it is that he needs. And, and here's Jesus' point when he says, be persistent with my dad. His point is like, look, my dad can be really hard sometimes. And he can be, a really, he can be kind of an absent dad. And he likes to come home from work and open a cold one and like go to work in the garage. It can be really hard to get his attention. He likes to kick his feet up and watch TV. And so let me tell you something. If you want to get his attention, you're going to have to really pester the fire out of him to get his attention. That's not Jesus' point. Far from it. Jesus' point is if a grumpy, sleepy, imperfect neighbor will eventually roll out of bed and reward someone's persistence, how much more your father who never sleeps, never tires, is always paying attention, is never grumpy, how much more is he going to answer you when you come to him with persistence? He's not trying to hold out on you. And the reason why kids continue to pester is because they just cannot imagine that their dad will not eventually say yes. He just can't imagine. If I, he loves me and he can do it, I'm just going to keep asking. He's going to say yes eventually. So what I'm saying is they bring a sense of expectancy. God, how we long to see that as pastors in our church, that we would show up in relationship with God, that we would show up in our MCs, that we would show up here to worship, we would show up on mission with a sense of expectancy. And if we're persistent and we continue to ask our dad, like he's going to do it. He's going to open the floodgates and give us what we want. He's going to pour out his spirit. He's, he's going to do it because he's our dad and he loves us and he can do anything. And if I just keep on asking, I can't imagine he won't say yes. 
There's this, this great sense of expectancy. And Jesus says, that's how I want you to show up in relationship with God. Pray like a child. Be persistent. And then he makes this bold promise in this passage. He says, if you do that, it'll be given to you. He doesn't even qualify it, by the way. Look, look back at verse 7 and 8. Ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. For anyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Just, just come, come with the faith of a child. No parameters, no pretense, and with all the persistence in the world. And he promises God the Father will answer you. Elephant in the room now is... Well, okay, but what about those times when maybe um, I do ask? Maybe I even seek and I knock, and God doesn't answer. He doesn't seem to give me what it is that I'm asking for. And that's true, okay? Let's talk about that. It's true um, that God does not give us everything we ask for, and the reason why is because he's a father and not a genie. Um, if you're a parent, you know that you don't give your kids everything that they ask for because you love them and some things aren't good for them. You're not going to give your kid, even if you have the ability, a hot lava gun <laughs> or a sewage system, right? Does that make you a bad dad? Does that make you like not a dad that has the power or whatever? Like, I mean, I don't know if you actually probably don't have the power to give them a sewage system, but you get what I'm saying. Like, we don't give our kids everything we ask for because we're not genies, we're parents, and we approach the relationship with love and with wisdom and we can see further down the road than our kids can. Like, I'm not going to give that to you because it's just not going to be good for you. Most dads and moms have enough wisdom and discernment to do that. And so the principle is, sometimes God doesn't give us what we ask for because it would be unwise. Um, you can pray like Janis Joplin, like, oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? And that's totally fine to ask for that. Like if that's on your heart, God says, bring it to me. I'd love to talk to you about that. So you can ask for that. There's nothing wrong with asking for a promotion or a new house or whatever. But if your father knows that it's unwise for you to have it, because he's a dad and he's not a genie, he's just not going to give it to you because he loves you too much to do that. So sometimes it's because it would be unwise. But sometimes God doesn't give us what we ask for because it would be unholy. Um, there's a line in James chapter 4, verse 3. I can put on the screen, and it says, When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And so, like any present attentive parent, God is able to discern your motives. And if your motivations in asking are selfish or self-destructive because he's a father and he's not a genie, he's not going to let you have it. He's not going to give it to you. Jesus says in verse 11 that the Father always only gives good gifts. If you go back to verse 11, he only gives good gifts. That's what's amazing. Even if you ask for a bad thing, he won't give it to you. Like a genie has to because you're in control in the relationship. But if you're asking for a bad thing, he's only going to give you a good thing. But then there are other times, right, where God doesn't give us what we ask for and the reasons are just unknown. Uh, what about the times we ask for something that's really good, it's not unwise, it's not unholy, and God just doesn't answer? Um, and some of you watching online, some of you here in this room, you have prayed and prayed and prayed for healing, and it didn't happen. Many of you have lost loved ones, you've lost friends, some of you have lost children. Um, some of you have prayed and prayed for God to give you a child and you've yet to conceive. 
Some of you have prayed and prayed for your adult children and you continue to watch them make decisions that wreck their lives. Um, you've prayed and prayed for God to save the soul of someone and you just watch them run further and further away from God. And you're thinking, what is God, what is God doing? Like, why is he not hearing and answering these prayers? And I just, I just want to say that I don't, I don't know if there's anything more confusing and painful than this kind of unanswered prayer and I wouldn't dare try to answer for God on why he sometimes says no in this way. I don't know. But what I do know is this. God's silence is not the same thing as his absence. And even when we don't understand, we can still trust. Like my my kids don't understand why I sometimes say no. They can't fathom and they throw fits and they can't fathom why I sometimes say no. But at the end of the day, they just, they trust me. And my children know that, that, that I love them. There's this great line from Charles Spurgeon where he says, where you can't trace the Father's hand, you can trust the Father's heart. And we, we know we can trust his heart because God has stepped into our, our story and into our pain, and he has suffered for us. He has suffered with us. I've always found a lot of comfort in this great Dorothy Sayers essay. And there's a line in the essay, we'll put it on the screen, where Dorothy Sayers says this. She says, For whatever reason, God chose to make man as he is, limited in suffering and subject to sorrows and death. He, that is God, had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. He has himself gone through the whole of human experience from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and even death. When he was a man, he played the man. He was born in poverty and died in disgrace and thought it was worthwhile. God the Son took on flesh and put himself in our shoes. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed boldly. He prayed honestly. He prayed persistently. No parameters, no pretense. With persistence, Jesus prayed that the cup of his suffering on the cross would be taken away from him, and God the Father said no. Jesus is asking for a good thing. He's asking for the equivalent of bread, and he gets a stone. He's asking for the equivalent of fish, and he gets the snake bite for us. God looks at Jesus and says, the Father looks at the Son and says, I'm not going to give you a good thing in order that he can give us a better thing, in order that he can give us the gift of himself, his presence, his love, which is our only hope in a world that's torn apart by sin and suffering. So whoever you are, um, whatever you've done, whatever you're going through right now in this moment, the invitation for you this morning is to become like a child. And to run to the Father and put your trust and your dependence on who he is for you in Jesus. I'll I'll end with this Brene Brown quote because I think she's really getting at the heart of Jesus' kingdom teaching and what Jesus says. She says, you can acquire and accumulate and accomplish with independence, but you can't experience life and love without need. It's the one thing God requires of you to come and experience life in his kingdom. It's the one thing you have plenty of, which is your need. So bring nothing else to that and experience the Father and all the fullness of his love for you. Let's pray together. Father, I do ask that you would hear right now our requests for a greater sense of your love and presence. You promise that if we ask, we will receive And children understand that, that if they don't ask, they won't receive. So we're asking to receive more of you this morning. We're asking for you to 
remove um, uh, any hindrance that we have put in front of our relationship with you, any block that is keeping us from receiving your grace, whether it's shame over our sin or the ways we've been sinned against, a fear of rejection, of being vulnerable. God, we just pray that you would tear down those obstacles and overwhelm us with the truth of the love of Jesus. God, if, if there's those listening in this room, those paying attention that need to be saved this morning, I pray that you would give them the eyes of faith. Help them to look on Jesus and embrace him as their only hope. If it's comfort we need, then comfort. Conviction, then bring conviction. Encouragement, bring encouragement. Um, we're your kids and we need you. So have your way with us, Father, we pray in your name. Amen.